0: I'm Brooke McLaughlin, an author, speaker, teacher, and small-town girl from the mountains of Appalachia. Over the years, I've had the privilege of encouraging countless moms toward a richer prayer life, helping them catch a vision for the partnership God invites them into as they become praying moms. Prayer is action all by itself, and our prayers can impact the people we love most for generations to come. I created the Million Praying Moms podcast because prayer is one of the most overlooked parts of Christian parenting today. Let's change that together. My goal is to help you see prayer not as a last resort, but as your first and best response. If you have questions about prayer or motherhood, if you need help taking the first steps toward a praying life, or if you want to know how to pray for specific needs affecting our children in today's culture, you're in the right place, friend prayer warrior, or mom who's just starting the journey, all are welcome here. Let's get started. If you've been listening, you know that I have a senior in high school this year. I prayed over the summer before his last high school year even started that the Lord would guide me through it and help me navigate it with grace. I knew it would present some challenges, and it has. My son is a good kid, a normal kid, and he has a big story ahead of him. I can't wait to see where life takes him, but I would be lying if I said parenting someone on the verge of adulthood is easy. It's not. There are growing pains, and there's stretching and letting go and growing up, and that's all just what's been happening in me. In all seriousness, I'm feeling quite deeply the change that parenting an adult child brings, and the feeling isn't always one I've loved. Something shifts, and, and it's right. It should. My relationship with my son should shift as he takes big steps into his future, into figuring out who he was created to be. I haven't always known the right thing to do or the right way to parent him through this season because he's our first to graduate. My husband and I are kind of feeling and praying our way through this. Thankfully, there's women like Mary Demuth who are willing to lead the rest of us on this and share what God has taught them about parenting adult children. Mary is an international speaker, a podcaster, and the author of over 40 books, fiction and nonfiction. I've read a lot of them, guys. You're going to want them all. But she also has written one that we're going to be talking about today called Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. Through God's healing, Mary has overcome a difficult past to become an authentic example of what it means to live a brand new story. She loves to help others re their lives through the books that she writes. Mary lives in Texas with her husband of 30 years and is mom to three adult children. Well, Mary, welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have you here again. You have been a frequent flyer on the Million Praying Moms podcast, and it is always a pleasure to have you. I would love it if you would just help our audience to get to know you a little bit. Tell them about yourself, your family, your ministry, whatever they need to know. Sure. So
1: my name is Mary, and I am primarily an author, but I also speak and I podcast, a prayer show actually. And uh, I'm an artist and a literary agent. And um, so I wear a lot of hats. I've got three adult kids. I live in Texas with my husband of 32 plus years, and I have one kind of annoying dog and one very dedicated (laughs) cat.
0: So there we go. That's awesome. Well, I just told you before we went, before we kind of started recording here, how annoying my dogs were being. And that's kind of a running Mm -hmm. theme throughout every single podcast and live episode that I have ever done in all of the history of ministry. So (laughs) you are in good company. I have to tell you that I have been really impressed with your new book. First of all, I really, you know, honestly, I've, I've read a lot of your books, both your nonfiction and your fiction books over the years. I'm sure not all of them because you have a lot of them, but I have read a lot of myself and I've always enjoyed them. Every book that I've read but I have to be honest with you and say that I was also really personally attracted to this book because I have a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. Lots of things are, I mean, you get it. Lots of things are changing for us now. They have been changing for us, but there's a lot of change coming for us in the coming months. And while I would not necessarily call our oldest son Wayward, which is in the title of your your new book, he certainly has and will make decisions that I would have made differently if I had had the right to make those decisions for him. So I want you to know that I am all ears today. I am wanting to learn everything I can to put it into practice in my own home. So I'm ready to listen and ready to learn. But before we dive more into that, I'd like to just start out with the title. Tell me about the title of the book, What does it mean to love, pray, and listen within the context of having relationship with our adult children?
1: Well, I definitely ask myself that question because I believe when kids are under our roof, we have this illusion of control. And then when they leave, we realize we never really had it, but we thought we did. (laughs) And so then the question becomes, what actually can I do? I can't control. I can't manipulate. I can't shame. You know, I can't guilt them into doing the right thing. Um, Not that we should want to, but I can't do that. And so what can I do? Well, I always can love. I can always err on the side of love. I always can pray for them. No one's going to take that away from me. And if I continue in relationship with them, um, then I can always listen to them and listen to their lives and listen to their hearts. And so those are things that um, those of us who have kind of lost the control and our kids have left our home, those are things we actually can control because they are things that we can do.
0: I love that so much. I actually have a sticky note. I have a lot of sticky notes on my computer monitor. If you were sitting here, you might be surprised, but I'm a sticky note girl. And so anytime the Lord shows me a a nugget or I have a verse that's meaningful to me in this season, it ends up stuck to my computer monitor. And so I have one that has really guided me ever since my son began his senior year. And it just says, there are limits to what I can do there are no limits to what i can pray mm. and that gives me hope he's not quite 18 yet but he's just right on the the tip of the iceberg there are things that he's going to choose to do that i simply cannot control even now before he leaves my home mm-hmm. you know you have that time leading up to it i heard a illustration by dave ramsey one time and he said that he and his wife in their parenting kind of imagined when they were really young, that they were tethered together with a very, very thick rope, right? Just really like one of those ropes that you might see on a boat or something. And as they grew up, then they released the rope more and more and more. they made a big mistake, then the rope might have gotten jerked back in right for a time until they could prove themselves and earn trust again and things like that. But when his daughter got married, they actually had a rope made for her. And it was decorated and all beautiful and had like ribbons on it. And they presented it to her at her wedding rehearsal and said, it's all you the rope is yours you get to, you know, the rope is cut now it is severed. And so it reminds me a little bit of that there is a process of letting go and letting go and letting go that happens over a a period of years. But sometimes it still feels like it happens all at once as they get older. It does. And it it can be hard. (laughs) Yeah, it can. It can be very, very hard. I I thought that I was semi prepared for his senior year. I did not think I was going to be one of those weepy senior moms. And I've done okay. But there have definitely been times of weepiness and Wondering, have I done everything that I could do for him? What what have I left out? Are there things that are on the list that we need to cram in at the at the last second to make sure that he he has it all? And and um, I think those are normal feelings, but there are limits to what we can do, but no limits to what we can pray. So I love this entire subject. I probably have about fifteen sentences. Underlined just in the introduction of Love Pray Listen. So just, you know, it's a really good book and you're gonna want to go and grab it. But there's one in particular that that when I read it, it literally kind of made me go, ooh, like it got me. It it really spoke straight to my heart and I recognized a truth in it. That I think I needed to hear in that moment. Um, and it's actually a truth that I think is pretty freeing for the parent of an adult child, or in my case, an almost adult child. You were referring in the introduction to a couple whose child was making decisions that didn't match the faith of his parents. And you said that those parents were, and this is the quote, able to live with joy and confidence in the tension of their adult child's unfinished story. And that's when I went, (laughs) oh, like, let's unpack that for a second, because I think it might be foundational to everything else that we talk about today. Why is it so important for a parent to see their child's story as unfinished? What difference does that make in, does that perspective make in the way that we can interact with and even enjoy our adult kids Maybe especially when they're making decisions that we might not agree with.
1: Yeah, I would say first, it really does help me to go back to my 20s and think about my story then. And that was certainly an unfinished story. And I don't even agree with me back then. Like I had some weird views and I did some weird <laughs> things and and I was not right. even a rebellious person and I loved Jesus. But even then, I wouldn't agree with me then. My story was unfinished. It's still unfinished. And It kind of, I think, gets back to this idea of this problem of American Christianity where when we pray something, we expect an immediate answer in the way in which we prayed it. So we want our prodigal child to come home tomorrow and follow Jesus immediately, and if they don't, then we are in despair, forgetting that sometimes we're called to tarry in prayer. Sometimes we're called to get on our knees and intercede for years. (laughs) And um, if God answers early, that's awesome, but He doesn't always. And that sometimes this is about your journey of fidelity to the Lord, despite His answering slowly. Um, Will we be faithful to the Lord or have we tied our joy to the decisions of our adult kids? And that to me is, you know, I definitely have struggled with that. I'm not gonna say I've conquered it, But more and more every day, the more I relinquish control and surrender to the Lord, the more I have joy despite whatever my adult children are choosing.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I don't think so. When my children make decisions, and they don't even necessarily have to be bad decisions. They are just maybe not the decisions that I would have made for them, again, given that I had the opportunity to do that or the right to do that for them. Sometimes I'm tempted to think, well, this is it, it's over. Or I I guess I have this kind of fatalistic um, perspective sometimes that says, well, I've ruined it all, or they've ruined it all, or it's never going to get better, or, or somehow we have royally missed the mark. And I think that looking at our children and even ourselves that way removes God from the picture because He is the God who makes the broken things beautiful. He is the God of redemption. He is the God of the all the way to the end story. And it's helpful to me. I think that's maybe why this grabbed me so much. It's helpful to me to stop and remember that in the moments where I'm tempted to think, well, it's just all over now. It's yeah, We've done it all wrong. This can't be salvaged. This can't be saved. That's a wrong understanding of the God we serve. And like you said as i look back at the brook even the christian brook of her 20s and 30s i can clearly see how god has changed and grown and even taken my really bad decisions and you know either healed them or made something better out of them taught me something out of them and it's a freedom to allow our kids that same opportunity to make mistakes and allow god the freedom and the room and not try to be their Holy Spirit, right? The room to grow them in those areas. I think that's really great. And I I will say too, I had a a great conversation with Jill Savage recently. I don't know if you know Jill, Mm -hmm. but I'll link to it in the show notes. And she said, talking about children who maybe are not choosing to share your faith, we had a conversation about that particular concept. And she said, sometimes just like you said, Mary, she said, sometimes we we just feel like if God doesn't cause our child to come back to the faith right now, then he's not being a good God. If it didn't happen yesterday, then he's not answering our prayers. But Jill encouraged us to look at the smaller ways mm-hmm. that God is at work in our children's lives as well. We, we get so focused on the big thing, wanting whatever that, that ultimate thing is, that ultimate answer to prayer, that we don't see all the ways that God is answering prayer in their lives in the small things. And that can really feed our faith and our hope if we're looking for those things. Would you agree?
1: I would agree. And when we relinquish that control and we begin to allow God to be creative in our kids' lives and not prescribing to Him the way He should answer it, we're more apt to see those little ways that He is wooing them. I'm seeing it happen all the time. And I would just really encourage listeners to, no matter what age your kids are, to write those little things down to so that when you have a dark day and when it is feeling fatalistic and your prayers you're like why am i doing this doesn't even matter you can look back and say oh but i've seen these breadcrumbs of god's faithfulness in their life i'm going to keep going
0: yeah absolutely amen Well, Mary, you and I are both very passionate about prayer. I highly recommend Mary's podcast on prayer. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. I believe, though, after reading this book, Love, Pray, Listen, that we have a similar belief about Christian parenting, too. You've already kind of alluded to it. You've touched on it a little bit. And that is that there is no biblical formula for parenting success. Every single time, and I do mean every single time. I talk publicly about being a praying mom, I'm asked to share examples of how God has answered my prayers over the years. And I get it. On some level, I really do get that. It's human nature to want to see tangible examples of what God has done so that we can have hope in what he can do in the future. And I do have some favorite stories of what God has done in our home through direct answers to prayer in my heart, in my husband's heart, in my children's heart. But at the same time, I really struggle with this question because I know that prayer is part of the long game. I know that prayer is a long game approach. It is not just a right now approach. And you alluded to this as well, in that God is not required to answer our prayers the way we want him to or when we want him to. Again, that issue of American Christianity is that we forget that yes, no, and wait Are valid answers to prayer. So even when it comes to our prayer lives, we're hoping for formulas. We're hoping that we can have something that will produce the kind of children that we hope for and that we want. So I'd really like for us to talk about the determination of some Christian parents. And my guess is that it's actually a lot of Christian parents to bank all of their hope on what they see as biblical formulas. Mary, I know children. Who have amazing, sincere, mature believers as parents who are not walking with the Lord. And I know children of unbelievers who are walking with the Lord. So I just want to ask you, like, first of all, why do we do this? Why do we look so hard for a biblical formula that will produce what we want? And secondarily, why is it hurting us more than it's helping us?
1: First, I would say that. The formula is God's faithfulness. That's what the formula is. He will be faithful to you no matter what you do, no matter how many mistakes you make, no matter how many parenting books you read and obey. He is utterly faithful to you. And so, the other thing that helps me is going back to the Garden of Eden, where you have the God of the universe, the perfect father, a perfect environment, and yet the God of the universe had wayward adult children. And then if you expand that out to the millennia, he has had billions, with a B, wayward children. And so he understands. And I think that takes some pressure off parents who are like, well, I tried all the formulas and it didn't work, so God let me down. No, the Lord is there to empathize with you because he knows exactly what it feels like. And if if in the perfect environment, God's children rebelled, then it shouldn't surprise us so much that in our very imperfect environment, children rebel. I really love free will for myself. I don't love it for my kids. I wish that they didn't have it. So true. Um, but I love it for myself. So I think that's part of it. And then I think too, in terms of formulas, I think there's this underlying thing in parenting books, and I wrote a couple parenting books, so I'm pointing the finger at myself as well. There's kind of this underlying promise that if you do these things, you're guaranteed that on the other end of your little parenting machine, out will pop perfect little disciples of Jesus. And that is just not true. Everybody has free will. And every child needs to make their faith their own. And usually that involves some sort of questioning or some sort of rebellion or some sort of, you know, thinking through who is God and who am I and what do my parents believe and what do I believe? This is all very natural and it doesn't necessarily tie back to
0: the success of your parenting or the lack of success of your parenting. Today's show is brought to you by our newest prayer guide, Praying for Your Adult Children. This resource is designed to help you know exactly what to pray for your children, empowering and equipping you in a season where most parents feel a sense of loss and a lack of purpose. If you want to find more joy, direction, and peace in this sometimes difficult season, this resource is for you. Spend two weeks journaling scripture-inspired prayers for your adult children based on verses or passages from the Bible that capture the heart of the parent-to-adult-child relationship. We've broken them up into four main categories, covering areas like praying for your adult child to learn to trust God, live out their faith, prioritize their daily responsibilities, and prioritize their marriages and family. Download your copy of Praying for Your Adult Children now when you visit today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. How can we unhook ourselves from that? You know, I think especially as our kids get older, their choices start to. Reflect on us. I mean, I have heard so many parents see, you know, at a football game or uh, just out in public when I, you know, at gatherings here or there, I have heard them watch bad behavior in an older child and say, "Well, I wonder where they learned that from," or that is a direct reflection on their parenting. And sometimes, I guess it's accurate to say that sometimes our children's choices can be a direct reflection of our parenting. But sometimes it's not. And as they get older, more and more often, it's not, I would say, a direct reflection. So how can we unhook ourselves from the, the weight of that? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because it's, it's heavy to feel like everything they do is a reflection of you.
1: Well, to all those mamas out there who have kids that have not left the house yet, my greatest encouragement to you is to divorce your identity from your children. Yes, Because when they leave the nest, you're going to be very sad <laughs> because your identity will leave the house <laughs> and make all sorts of decisions. And, and your identity must be grounded first and foremost on Jesus Christ and His delight in you and His power to help you conquer sin and, and His love for you. All those things are really, really important. And so I think the answer to that question is If your identity is based on someone else's behavior, you're going to be living on a false edge of identity. And if that behavior goes south, then your identity will go south. But if your identity is based on the one who loves you and sacrificed himself for you, truly, if you have truly let that go and let him be your identity, you cannot be shaken so much. You can be grieved and you can lament and you can mourn, but it's not going to shake you at your foundation or your core.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And I just, it's probably a process. It's just a a process that we all have to go through. Maybe there are some mothers who start out the motherhood journey, having a better understanding of that than others. But when you have a child, for most of us, there is a desire or just a innate response to making them our identity. And I think, um, you know, it's important for us, even as, you know, we're talking a lot today about moms of adult children. But again, I think it's really important for us as moms of little ones as well to remember that while motherhood may feel, especially young motherhood, may feel all consuming and like it takes every piece Mm -hmm. of you. It's not your first calling. Your first calling is to be a child of God. Your identity while motherhood, again, is A huge part of it and always will be your first identity, your your greatest foundation is as a child of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as a follow up to that last question, when I get asked to share my favorite prayer stories, I always try and bring the conversation back to one simple fact. And this is my experience, and I think it's probably the experience of most people who pray, who who are uh, regular in their prayers and have that kind of relationship with the Lord. And that is that God has done just as much and maybe more to change me through praying for my children than he has done to change them. Like I approached prayer that way. I wanted God to change them, but he actually ended up changing me. And in the book, Um, and you touched on this a little bit too, but let's go a little deeper. In the book, you say, what if their behavior and decisions are not about them per se, but part of God's refining of us? Could their actions be the impetus for our knees hitting the floor? Could it usher in the closeness of Jesus? Talk to us about that and how you believe that parents can live joyfully right now, present tense right now, no matter what might be happening in their adult children's lives.
1: Well, I will say that there is always joy in the presence of God. There is always joy to be had in unpacking verses and and spending time in His presence and worshiping Him. So there's always the opportunity for joy. And again, you know, this divorcing of identity to know that you are beloved is, is living from that perspective is really, really important. And then of course, I mean, this is, everybody knows this. So this is not in sort of revelations. You can't change somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only change yourself and you can only be responsible for yourself. And I think one of the reasons why I wrote this book is that a lot of people in that age group of kids that are leaving the nest somehow believe, especially moms, they believe that They've lost their usefulness, Mm -hmm. that their job is over. They have an identity crisis and they think the best is over and nothing good is going to happen from this point on. When in actuality, this is one of the most fruitful periods of time in a parent's life. You're not encumbered anymore by time and that time stretch. Oftentimes, I mean, when our kids left college, I was like, hallelujah, we got a pay raise. So we got, (laughs) you know, we had financial means and this is the most fruitful time in our lives. And so my fear is that if your child is walking down a path that you don't like, the enemy is having some sort of victory there. He's going to get a double victory if he takes you out too. That's a great word. And so this is a fruitful time. And so definitely don't let the enemy have a second victory. Cherish this time of fruitfulness and have joy in the service that you can do.
0: Yeah, I do think we get so focused as mothers on what's happening right now. Just in the beginning, it's just trying to keep them alive, right? And then yeah. the goal of motherhood, um, and that's full time, it seems like. Um, don't and then, kill your you know, kids. <laughs> right, exactly. Make sure they live. Yes, exactly. And that changes that goal of motherhood changes and morphs and grows as they get older. But I love the feeling if, if your identity is where it's supposed to be, then you are brimming over with purpose as a woman of God, regardless of how old your children are, or whether they're in your home or they're not. You know, God has amazing work for you to do, whether it's directly related to your children or something else that he wants you to do for the kingdom. And if you're right there, um, if you're correct in your thinking there, then it becomes easier to hear the plans that God has for you in whatever season you're in, in your life. If Satan is currently taking you out as well, then it makes sense that you're probably not even going to be able to hear what God wants for you to do or all the wonderful things and freedom that God has for you in this next season of your of your life. So, um that is so so good. One of the things that I really love about this book um is that your approach to it is to walk us through what the Bible calls the true definition of love inside of 1 Corinthians. So, once you get past the introduction, you're taking us kind of verse by verse through what we often refer to in biblical circles as the love chapter, um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and helping us identify what that looks like as a parent of an adult child. And I, I just thought that was a beautiful approach because as you mentioned, we are still fully capable of loving, no matter what they're doing. And I I thought it was just beautiful. So tell us. Uh, Well, first of all, I would love it if you would just read that, that passage to us. And then I would love it if you would explain to us why you felt like that was the best route for helping moms in this season of their parenting.
1: So, of course, this begins with Paul, and he's writing to the Corinthian church. And so this is actually not about marriage. This is written for broken community. And so if you are having a broken community with your kids, whether they be little kids or adult kids, these are great words of how to live in love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And I had the privilege of just being able to walk through that passage verse by verse, as you mentioned, and pulling apart the Greek and really unpacking what does this look like? What does love actually look like? And you can actually apply it not only to your adult kids, but to
0: all your relationships as well. Yeah, it's a really profound way to look at your relationships in general and mm-hmm. a way to measure and understand what they're supposed to look like. I'll be honest, it made me want to go out. I have certain scriptures hanging around our our home and it really I don't have that one and it made me want to go and get it and display it, you know, loud and big in our home so that we can look at that and be reminded, you know, am I behaving this way? Am I offering What love actually means? Am I offering patience in this situation that I'm in right now with my child, with my husband, with a friend, with a family member, with a church member? Am I offering what patience actually means um, in this relationship? What kindness actually means in this relationship? I know that you guys are going to love having this deeply biblical look at First Corinthians 13. So I encourage you to go grab your copy of the book. But Mary, before that, I thought it would be cool if you would just maybe pick one of your favorites from that list in First Corinthians 13 and walk us through just a taste of what it might look like um, as we we're trying to be in relationship with our adult children.
1: One of them that might be kind of counterintuitive is love is not boastful. <laughs> and You know, as I was unpacking that and talking it through with my husband, I realized that we do have kind of this prideful, boastful way about us. So if our child does well, then we boast internally. We may not do it externally, but like, oh, I must have done a good job. Um, But I think we also do a lot of internal comparing to other families who seem to be more perfect than ours. And so the problem with that comparison game is that we either will have pride and boast about our parenting skills because our kids turned out right, or we will have shame and brokenness because obviously they seem to have it all together and I don't. And when we have those expectations, we can tend to worship those expectations rather than trusting God to bring the outcome that He's going to bring. And so it's kind of an insidious thing, um, this boastfulness, um, and it has that other side of kind of despair. And all of that is about us and our ability instead of on Jesus's ability to change our own lives and to change our kids' lives. And so we do have to learn to surrender even that. And I would say the other, of course, is love is patient and and kind. I mean, they're all just amazing. But one of the things I think is so hard for our world today, especially post-COVID, is we are not kind. We are vindictive. We want to be right. We want to be heard rather than to hear. We want, especially with our adult kids, we want them to know our opinions without listening to theirs. We want to pontificate rather than listen. And so it's important that we are kind-hearted and that we have the kinds of conversations that dignify them instead of just airing our opinions.
0: Yeah, that's so good. i with the first one that you talked about, like, I honestly can see myself in both of those places, that issue of comparison. And I've done both. I've looked at other, and I don't even really mean to, I I think it just kind of happens. I look at a family and I'll think, gosh, I'm so glad that we don't have that problem or, you know, whatever. But then I sometimes will look at a family and think, my goodness, they've got it all together. And we fall so short. And I think we're just we're wired to compare ourselves to other people. But I love, I just really love what you have to say about that. Mary, one of the things I really love about you is I i feel like you have such a great combination of being committed to what God's word says, letting it challenge you to be different. But you you also are so clearly passionate about Jesus. It's not just head knowledge, you are clearly passionate and love the Lord. And so it's, you know, I I just cannot recommend this enough. Um, Mary, I always end our shows by asking our guests to share a verse or a passage that might direct our prayers, the the moms that are listening right now that are maybe feeling lots of conviction, or maybe even some freedom, maybe they're feeling some freedom from some of the things that they've been holding on to. What are some verses or passages that you would share? that could direct their prayers as they are processing the information that you've shared today, as they're learning to be a mom that that loves and prays and listens? I think
1: in our Christian society, we tend to want to be heroic and strong and have everything together. And particularly, we want to be perfect moms. And um, while that ambition is good, I mean, it's good to want to do well, of course, But Jesus's upside down economy is so different. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, this is Paul saying, um, each time he said this, God said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I, Paul, am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so if you're feeling weak today and you're feeling like you don't have it all together, this is actually the best place to be. Our weakness is the dance floor for Jesus to do his best steps. (laughs) It's when we are have it all together and we think we've got it all going on that we actually stiff arm God because we say, I've got this. But when we're weak, we understand our need for him. And that's a beautiful place to be.
0: I love that. That is like the summary of my motherhood right there <laughs> i feel like i very often um i sometimes sometimes if i'm honest i feel like god has forced me to that place of weakness <laughs> to 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 realize hey hey sweetheart you actually don't have it all together if you would just let go um, if you would just let me do my best work that was a beautiful beautiful way you phrased that About Jesus's best footwork. That's gorgeous. Thank you so much, Mary, for being here with us. I really pray that this will be an encouragement, not just to the moms that are in this stage right now of having, you know, adults or almost adults, but I also pray that this will bless the moms that are a little earlier in their journey, maybe to make some adjustments now that will serve them well later in their lives so that maybe they won't have to have some of the same struggles that others have. Thanks for hanging out with me today, friends. Don't forget to get your copy of our new prayer guide, Praying for Your Adult Children. You can find out more about Mary's podcast, Pray Every Day, her new book, Listen, Pray, Love, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy, and get a free gift from Mary, two years of personalized prayers with your name in them delivered straight to your inbox. All of these links are available now in the show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Till next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. I talk to so many moms who say, Brooke, I want to pray for my kids. I just don't know how to start. That's exactly why I wrote my digital resource, How to Pray God's Word for Your Children. It's your how-to guide, giving you a very short, simple, step-by-step process for how I first started praying God's Word. Download it right away, and I'm not joking, you'll be praying God's Word by this afternoon. All you need is a Bible, a notebook, and a pencil, or your phone, if you prefer, somewhere to create a short list. You can find that freebie in today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.